0: Ephesians chapter 2, he starts out in chapter 2, verses one, 1 through 10. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of this kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at the work of those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, Following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If that's not a theological nugget, if that's not a Himalaya, I don't know what is in Scripture. That is huge. That talks about so many important things for us, for our ministry to the world. I mean, this is like, this is foundational as a Christian to understand these things. Chapter One, previous chapter. Paul reminds the Ephesian believers that their what their position is Christ in Christ is, and we know from verses one through fourteen, he tells us the firm foundation we've been seated upon in Christ Jesus. This is what we we stand upon. This is what we're seated upon. This is we're just firmly planted in this. This is this is what we move from and we live from. Amen. How many of you tried to jump, you know, from the beach, you know, playing beach volleyball or in the sand? You're just like, ah, it's so frustrating. Your footing, you can't get your footing. We are on a firm foundation. And Paul wanted us to know in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, what Christ has done for us, who we are, seated in him. And he said, you were chosen before the foundations of the earth. You were predestined to adoption. You were redeemed. You were forgiven. You were given the plan, and you were given the Holy Spirit, and this is what the believer is in Christ Jesus. And all these things have been done for you past tense. They're done. They're yours. Awesome. Yay! And by the way, this describes what it means to be a part of the church. Ephesians chapter 1 describes who the church are. We are the chosen, the predestined, the redeemed, the forgiven, the ones with the plan, the ones with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then in verses 16, 23, we see how to pray for the church. Paul says, Paul says it's not just enough to read theology. We've got to pray it in because the word of God has to be infused with the spirit of God into our hearts, making it a reality? How many of you have read your Bibles and you read something and you go, okay, yeah, for God to love the world. He gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him, and we know it, right? But what happens, we kind of just go, yeah, okay, I get it. Or we can quote Bible verses and all that stuff, but what happens when you're just sitting there and all of a sudden the spirit of God connects that verse and it just radically transforms your heart? That's what he's talking about. It's not just to know, to know the list. Do you know that you were chosen before the foundations of the earth? you were predestined to be his son, to be his daughter? Do you know that? Do you know that he redeemed you? He picked you out of the slave market. He chose you. He forgave you. And then he gave you the plan. You're a part of it. And he gave you his Holy Spirit as a down payment. That's what you have right now. And for the Lord to infuse that, Paul's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be opened. This wouldn't just be religion to them. It would be life, who they are. It would change. They would realize this is who I am. This is how i see them. that changes what you do, how you live. Because chapters one, two, three, all about who you are. Why? Because it gets to how we live. And then finally, how we stand against the enemy. So he's laying a huge foundation here. So Paul, in that prayer, he gives praise, perseverance. He tells them the plan, the power, and the person, all the P, the five Paul's P's prayers. Yeah. Anyways, so chapter 1 reminds us of who we are in Christ Jesus and teaches us how to pray so that truth will impact us. And now Paul, as he continues to teach the Ephesians about who they are in believers, he contrasts with who they were before they came to Christ in Jesus. He wants to tell them right off the bat, this is who you are. By the way, when you came out of darkness, this is, this is who you were. This is what was going on. And I think that's important to the Ephesians because us as believers, we need to know who we are, but we also need to have a clear distinction as to who we were, what was going on, what did, and this is all about salvation. What did God save us from? And this also helps us as believers as we look out into the world, which is our mission field, that is our calling in life, to glorify God by reflecting him to other people the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we go out there and we look at the world, we see who they are because that's who we were. Amen? And we're able to relate and we're also able to communicate truth, light. And so he begins in chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you, past tense, were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of this kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So Paul is describing what every person is like before putting their faith in Christ Jesus, before they were saved. This is what we were like. In verse one, Paul makes it clear that you were what? We were what? Dead. Dead. That's a very encouraging message. Paul wanted to, start out the Sunday morning by saying, you were dead. And he always gives the hard news before he gets to the good news. I mean, he started out with the good news, but he just wants, this is the gospel here. You were dead. He goes, this is the state of every person before Christ. And so for the believer, this is our past. This is what we were. And for the rest, this is their present. He says, as for you, you were dead in your What were we dead in? In our transgressions and sins. We know that Paul isn't speaking about physical death here. He's not, you're not physically dead, right? We're all kind of breathing and living and walking around. So what is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. Because in verse two, we read that we used to be dead, but now we live, right? He says, so essentially before Christ, we were the walking dead, so to speak. We were alive physically but we were spiritually dead. And the best way to explain spiritual death is to look at physical death. Right now, there's a bunch of our friends out in the mountains right now shooting elk, right? And when we go out there and they shoot elk and it falls to the ground, what do they do? They eat it right away. No. When when you walk up to that animal Yes, you do eat it. Before we eat it, you walk up to it, and what do you want to make sure? That it's dead. And so what do you do? Clap at it or sing a song to it? No, I'm not a hunter, so I will be. But you poke it with your gun, right? And you're aiming at it and you're just making sure. What are you looking for? What? You're looking for a response. Correct? You're looking for a response. Correct? So what are dead people? Do they have the inability to do what? To God. Spiritually. They're unable to respond spiritually to God. I know I'm working on all my questions and stuff. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a process. <laughs> we're five and a half years in. It'll be good. <clears throat> you were dead. And that's what he wants them to know. You're ph- it's, in the way he's doing it, it's, you're, it's, it's, he's explaining spiritual death to ph- physical death. As a pastor, I've had the privilege and the honor, and it's it's sad to see uh, many people pass on, go before the Lord. And one of the most powerful uh, pictures of this is when someone loves someone so much and they're crying over their dead body, and yet they have the inability to respond to that most powerful human affection. The same way it is with dead humans spiritually towards the love of God. Unable to do it. And so Paul wants to make sure that you're alive now, but you were dead. What does that mean? You, cannot, you didn't have the ability to respond to God. You didn't even care what happened. We were spiritually dead. And so what does a spiritually dead person look like? What do they do? A person who's spiritually dead is dead, what? In their transgressions and sin. They're dead in something. They're dead in their transgressions and sin. That's how it's expressed. That's how it is. Paul is contrasting that. Chapter 1, what does he say? You're dead. I mean, you are now made alive in Christ Jesus. And he explains all those things that are in Christ Jesus. You're seated in Christ Jesus, and therefore all these things are yours. And he says dead people are dead in their transgressions and sin. They are spiritually dead, and therefore, this is how their life is expressed, in transgressions and sin. That is the fruit of that death. Paul is saying that the saved person is seated with Christ. That's their position. The spiritually dead person, they're seated in their transgressions and sins. Their trespasses and the sins. That's their identity. That's what identifies them. We're going to get to good people in just a second, all right? But Psalm 1, verse 1, gives some insight into this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight's in the law of the Lord. You see, standing, sitting, and walking in sin. That's how they they operate. And what is Ephesians teaching us? We're seated in Christ. How do we walk in Christ and how do we stand against the enemy? see, in the Lord. There's a contrast there with the world. A person who's spiritually dead, their nature is firmly rooted in trespasses and sins, and that is how they operate. That was our nature before Christ. We were dead. Caught in the slave market of sin. Without a hope. And trespasses and sins are a similar word to explain the same thing. Trespasses are willful acts that defy God obstinate and sin is that old english archery term, term as we talk it just means to miss the mark there're going to be many people sinning up on the hills they're going to miss the the elk they're going to try they're going to sin they're going to in for the target it's just not going to happen and god's requirement is 100% absolute sinless perfection every time we often think of sin as what we do wrong and it is which is which is true that's a symptom but The scriptures often more accurately reflect sin as what we fail to do. What we fail to do. What we fail to do. What we we don't do. Let me explain a little bit. Sin, according to God, is what we do not do, and sin is essentially failing to glorify God. That's a great definition. Sin is failing to glorify God. We were created to glorify God. And sin is failing to glorify God. Sin is essentially falling from failing to glorify God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. What they do not do. They don't glorify God as He should. Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and the divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse this is the stimulus all around us, right? And yet, verse 20 on, although they knew God, they, gl- they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they knew God, they knew there was a God, they neither glorified him, they fell short of glorifying God, nor they gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Sin is falling, uh, failing to glorify God. A spiritually dead person cannot glorify God. They don't have the capacity to. They only have the capacity for trespasses and sins. Now, what about good people? That's where we're going in our minds. Isn't our goodness worth something to God? Isn't our goodness, like, our attempt to glorify God or whatever people who are outside of Christ we're talking about? Before Christ, that's who we're talking about. We're not talking about in Christ. Before Christ... Do we fail to glorify God? And the answer is yes. We all know that Hitler was a sinner, correct? We all know that thieves and murderers and all these things, we look at them and we can maybe put them on a scale from 1 to 10 from our own broken perspective, right? We go, look, that's a real bad sinner but not so much as this person. All these types of sins, Paul makes extensive lists so that we know what being spiritually dead looks like, the fruit of it, right? All these types of sins we can probably list, like I said, but you know, Hitler would be on top and maybe you, fudging your things and your taxes would be a little bit lower than that, maybe a lot lower. Who knows in this society? <clears throat> but all those are varying degrees of symptoms from spiritually dead people. God's people, I'm sorry, good people is what I would say, fall short of the glory of God. Being good is not the standard. Being good is not the standard. It doesn't make it. You don't get into heaven by being good can't happen. Luke chapter 6, 32, 34. Anytime you make statements like that, you got to back it up with scripture, right? So if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you, Jesus says, right? Why? Even who? Sinners love those who love them. Is loving people a good or a bad thing? It's a good thing. So sinners do good things. They love people, right? And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend from those who, uh, whom expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting repayment full. Sinners, they love, they do good, and they lend. Jesus said it doesn't cut it. People who do good are still called what? Sinners. This is very important. Luke 13, eleven thirteen. 13 Jesus speaking again, he says, if, then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to ask? Who is he calling evil? Parents who give good things to their... It's possible to be evil and do good things. Amen? So stop doing good things. No, it's not what I'm saying. Amen? Amen? <laughs> But people who give good gifts to their children are still called evil. I like what John MacArthur says on this. He says, what do you mean evil? Well, their evil is not manifested in the fact that they do good for their children. It's manifested in what they don't do and cannot do. And that is to reach the standard of the glory of God. So the problem is not that people do good. It's that we all have failed to meet God's perfect holy standard. We're not good enough. And we can't be good enough because we're dead and we're caught in our trespasses and sins. We're hopelessly lost. Bad news so far, right? What do you think Paul's building up to? He is perfect. The dead try to hit the mark, but they fail, or they don't even try in different different degrees. I've used this before, the Grand Canyon. After, after church today, we're all going to go to the Grand Canyon. We're going to line up and we're going to run and we're each going to jump across. Are you ready? One, two, we run. And then Matt goes, ooh, and I just fall down the first. And then, let's see, Carol, she makes it five more feet. Larry's, you know, he's away, he's a little further. Well, what happens to all of us, no matter how great we are at running and jumping? We fall Short of the glory of God, we can't make it, and we fall into the valley of what? Sin and death, and so our good works only get us; they don't don't even match up. That's even the analogy falls apart. So we're all falling. We're the whole world has fell into this pit. We run as hard as we want. We leap as far as we can. Sure, some make it across farther than others. These are our good works. Some trip on the edge, like me, and fall right away. Others gracefully, you jump 25 feet, world record. It was awesome. Look at them. Man, look how good works. they just awesome. But the problem is we all fall short of the glory of God, we end up in the Grand Canyon of sin and trespasses. And what is left over is our sin and trespasses. All of us dead, just different degrees of decay different degrees of decay before God. We can't meet God's perfect standard because we're dead. We express our spiritual death in how we live. How do we live? We live in sin and trespasses. And he gets more into that. He says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. And going to start to explain what transgressions and sin look like when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in in those who are disobedient. So we were spiritually dead, yet walking around. What do spiritually dead people follow? What do they look like? What does walking in transgressions and sins look like? Two things. First, they follow the way of the world. They follow the way of the world. The Greek word for world here is cosmos. And this isn't talking about we follow the physical world. It's talking about an ideology, a spirit. The walking dead according to the ideology of the world. That's what we consume. That's how we live. That's what our standards are based upon. That's how we, our ethics, how we live, how we breathe, what we're in. We're in the world. We're in sin. We're in trespass. That's what we know. That's how we operate. And so this would be in contrast to the things of the kingdom of God. The walking dead, they buy into the world's philosophies. We buy into humanism and capitalism and Marxism and evolution or whatever. Great things can be redeemed from all of them. Good things from all of them. I'm not not knocking, you know, capitalism. I love that we live where we are. But it doesn't save you. It's a system. Buying and selling, and we buy into these things. The world dictates their standards and their morality. The spiritually dead, they walk in harmony with the world. The the Germans call it zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. Look at our kids. What do they watch? What do they say? How do they act? What influences them? Is it Christ? Is it kingdom? Or is it the world? I'm just saying it straight out. And look at us. What are we influenced? What philosophies do we buy into? What things are we doing? It's all the world. And we're going, yeah, that's all we've ever known. Correct. We're all dead. That is human philosophy. That is what we're a part of. And God is not of this world. Amen? And so are we syncretized to the world are we at harmony with the world? Jesus said, what? Friendship with the world is what? Enmity, war with God. Secondly, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is what dead people do. This is what transgressions and sin looks like. We're, we're synced with the world and we're following Satan. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the air being. Uh, this, this realm we live in, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, that's what he does. He's at work. We go, well, I'm not following Satan. I'm not building an altar to him. No, he's behind the scenes. He is setting up, he's influencing all these philosophies and governments and all these types of things. And he is the one at work in this world. And if we don't think he's, he's ruling and reigning in this world, that's why Jesus is going to come back and put his foot down on the ground and say, thousand years, mine. Who's he, who's he overruling? He's coming back to take it back from Satan. He's going to take him and throw him in a pit for a thousand years. Jesus, the ruler is Satan. Jesus identifies Satan as the ruler of this world in John 12, 31, and f- chapter 14, verse 30 of John, and in Matthew 4 through 11. Remember, Jesus is being tempted. I've shared this with you before. Satan comes up to Jesus, says, bow down and worship me. And I will give you what? All the kingdoms of the world. And what did Jesus say? You don't have the authority to do that. Did he say that? No, he didn't. He said, the word says to worship no one else except to the Lord or the God. He didn't dispute it. Satan is ruling and reigning over this earth. And the godly influence upon this earth is what? Who? The church, the salt, and the light of the earth. That's you. That's you. In Genesis, we see, well, Satan, he's influencing this world and its systems and its philosophies and its religions and all the stuff. And in Genesis, we see his main way of doing this. He does it through temptation. And when he's tempting Eve, he says that she would not die if she defied God. God said, you do this, you're going to be dead. And so the Satan goes, the first thing he says is, no, nope, God did not mean what he said." And So the one thing he does right away is he seeks to discredit what God says, to discredit his word. And what do you do? You walk in and you have a discussion with 90% of professors or 90% of intellectuals of what do you want to do? And they say, that's all crud. I can't even believe you believe in that. Did God really say? They have bought in. They're sold out. Who do you think influenced that philosophy? The same one in Acts that commanded the people no longer preach in his name. Don't you dare go out and preach in Jesus' name anymore. The word of God is not valid. It's not real. That's a philosophy of Satan. That's a doctrine of demons, if I might go that far. But Satan starts out and he says, in fact, you're not going to die. You're actually the opposite is going to happen. The opposite is going to happen. In fact, Satan says, you won't die. Rather, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be enlightened. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan discredits what God says and says the opposite is true. That is what he does. Do you think that's happening in our culture and our society? What God says is wrong and what? The opposite is true. That's what's happening. Now, people don't realize where that's coming from. And they buy into it. Where is it coming from? The father of it all. The father of lies. So Satan, he discredited what God says, and he says the opposite is true, that you are missing out on what's really there. Therefore, he got Eve to act upon, not upon what she knew of the Lord, what he said, but upon how she felt. He appealed to her lower nature. He appealed to her emotions. He appealed to her drives. He appealed to these things. How do you think marketing campaigns work? They appeal to your needs and your wants and your drives. Madison Avenue is very aware of how that works. Why do you think, and on almost all TV shows, everybody's almost naked, and nobody's, nobody's you know, very, they're all good-looking, so to speak, from the world standards. Why is that? What do you think they're appealing to The heart? Peeling to your flesh, my flesh, our base, our dead instincts. That's what he's doing. It says, so Satan discredits what God says. He says the opposite true, and, and this is how he, he gets her to act on her base instincts. And so in Genesis 3, 6, 6 it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, Met my stomach's needs, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Woo. So the pleasure was involved there. And the tree was desirable to make one my, wise, dealing with the intellect. She took the fruit and the aid of it. And she also gave it to her husband with her. And Adam, dummy, he did it too. And here we are. This is the tactic of Satan to get man to deny what God has said and to believe. That they are not dead, they will not die, there are no consequences, and to believe that life is found in gratifying your own desires and your own things, the desire for food or to meet you know, those, those primal things that to, to meet the pleasure need in your life or to attain knowledge, apart from glorifying God first. Now, let me say those things are not bad in themselves. Because guess what? God created us with the desire to have drives, do we not? He created us with eyes. He created us with emotions. But see, they were supposed to be subject to a spirit that glorifies God. And they were meant to express the glory of God, not to be in defiance of it. The Apostle John sums up the whole world system and Satan's plan to keep man in the dark. In 1 John, John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so where you see humanism, where it's all about gratifying self, where you see materialism, a lack of any need for anything spiritual, where we put physical things above spiritual things so quickly. And you see sexual deviation, a perversion of what God has actually designed to be the most sacred thing among us. When you see these things, you see the enemy's plan being worked out. Now, no one would say, I follow Satan. But guess what? If you're not in Christ, that's who you follow. And he's at work in the world. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, When you follow the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom there and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Another uplifting verse. Man. So really quickly, Who did death affect? All. Who does all include? (laughs) Who lived in sin? All. And all of us gratify the cravings of our flesh. That's our sin nature. That's what we were just talking about, the base desires. The word flesh here is referring to our bodies and its drives. Adam was recreated with the spirit that was right with God, that and his body was in harmony with the spirit. There was no having to deny his flesh and all that stuff. That's, that's just who he was. And then sin came along and somehow he had free will and they decided to defy what God said and there was a, a severing of those things. And what was meant to glorify God, now it was the very thing that does not glorify God our flesh. That's why no flesh shall enter the kingdom of heaven And our spirit is dead and we're being ruled by our flesh as humans, those who are not alive. So the answer is to be born again. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it comes not from the Father but from Satan. And so, moving ahead here, I'm going to skip a little bit. This is how dead men men and women live for themselves to gratify self. We've all sinned fallen short of the glory of God. We all like sheep have gone astray. We all by our very nature are spiritually dead living in the kingdom of sin. An opposition to God. We deserve God's wrath. Wrath is God's judgment, his punishment. He does not put off. He does not like let things slide. He's not like that. We all were deserving God's wrath. We we're all spiritually dead, living in sin, deserving of God's wrath. That's what those first three verses. You're spiritually dead, you're living in sin, deserving of God's wrath, and God could have left us that way. And he could have executed his judgment on it. But there was something that motivated him not to do that. Verse four, the good news, amen. But because of his, what? Great Love. For us. God, who is rich in mercy. Don't just jump over those words. Let them soak into your soul. God, in his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy. What did he do? He made us alive with Christ. When? even when we were dead in our transgressions. How did you get that? Did you jump far enough? What does it say? It is by grace you have been what? Saved. We need saving from that whole life. The world needs saving. Something about God's character Desires to save us from that. What is it? It's who He is. Your God is loving. He has great love, great mercy. He has great agape, unconditional love. I love that. But He's also a God of wrath and justice. At the same time, His, his, his justice must be met and His love has to be expressed. And he's a merciful God. What does mercy mean? He's not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy. He's merciful to us. And is he shallow in mercy? How many of you have had, when you walked in that way, you like walked in that way. I mean, you didn't even try to jump. You just, you stood at the edge and said, forget it. Rich in mercy, vast mercy, not giving you what you deserve. I love that. That's something we need to rest in as Christians. That is truth for you. Your Grand Canyon jump was not impressive, but he loved you. He was rich in mercy towards you. God is rich in mercy. He is rich in withholding wrath and judgment upon dead people that are in rebellion towards him. His desire is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's why that is, uh, that is his hope, that we would respond to his goodness. God gives us the ability to respond. We don't even have the ability by ourselves because we were dead, but he gives us the ability to respond to his love, to his mercy, and yet the scriptures clearly teach at the same time we must respond You must respond to the gospel in order to be freed from death and life. You must take what he's given and deposit it back at him. You must cast the check of his mercy and forgiveness. You can't just keep it in your wallet. Got to take it to the bank. And that is what God gives. Life, eternal life with Christ Jesus. But because of his great love, love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive. He made us alive when we were dead. He didn't, we didn't clean ourselves up and come to him. We were dead. We didn't start to follow God. We were dead. He made us alive in Christ when we were dead. It was his idea. He came to you. He pulled you out. He called you. It was his idea. You were thought of before you even thought of it. So if it's God's idea to bring you into his kingdom, do you think he's going to sustain you in his kingdom? Think you think he's going to go, oh, no, I made a big mistake? He's good. I know we get into Calvinism and all that stuff. Listen, we're teaching the sovereignty of God right now. Do you understand that? So we're focusing on the sovereignty of God. And when we talk about the free will of man, we're going to talk about the free will of man. Okay, church? This is what he's talking about. He wants the, church, the believers to know who they were and what God did on their behalf. They need to know it. So, Really quickly, we're, we're almost done here. Realize, this is really important. What saves people? Who saves people? God saves people. Do you save people? No, you do not save people. Just want to take the weight off your shoulders. When you are worrying about people, whether or not they will receive Christ, we understand that. But what do you need to lean on? Lord, and how do you need to pray? God, open their eyes. God, let the gospel come into the heart. Bring this about. Let them respond. And you be faithful to the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth. And don't water it down. Don't water it down. You're dead. You're caught. This is what you're living in. I was living in there with you. God made me alive, and he wants to make you alive too, and the only way is for you to call out and receive his forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. He made us alive. We didn't clean ourselves up. God saved us by his grace. God saves people. You proclaim the one who does, amen? We proclaim it through our words and our lives. And realize that the people you are proclaiming the gospel to are dead. They might be good people. Good people. Remember that? How many of you like to to share the gospel with good people? Oh, gosh. Remember the Grand Canyon? Okay? How good? Not good enough. Neither was I. But they're spiritually dead. They're ruled by the world, no matter what they say, what they do. They're ruled by the world, the devil, and their flesh, and apart from the Holy Spirit, infusing the good news into their thinking. And them responding in faith, they're doomed. So we must preach the gospel. Bad news first, that they're dead. Not going to make it. Good news second, God saves people out of death and from slavery of sin through faith in Jesus Christ, His death for sin and his life and his resurrection. Amen. And this is Paul's point. We were dead, but God intervened because God loves us. This is his grace. God made us alive with Jesus. Just as Jesus died a physical death. We were dead spiritually just as Jesus rose again from power by the power of God, so our spirits were made alive by the power of God. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We're out of the Grand Canyon. We're, on the, we're in the throne room with the King of Kings. That's where you're seated, and he's coming back to physically finish the transaction. Your spirit's with him. You're, 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 you're seated with him. Your identity is with him. That's how you live and have your being. You're no longer caught in this. God raised us up. We're with him. Why would God raise us up? Why would God make us alive? What's his motive? He wants to get something out of you. No, verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's his his big plan for you. The whole reason why I love you, the whole reason why I redeemed you, the whole reason why I sent my son to die for you is so that I can do verse 7 for you. Here's my plan. You ready? In order that in the coming ages he might show, put in your name, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness into uh, uh, to us in Christ Jesus man god's pleasure is that you would be with him forever and that he would show you the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to you in Christ Jesus what does that even mean i can't even get there my mind just goes ah okay it's good It's good. And my flesh goes, that's boring good. Why can't we just like drink beer? That's flesh. That's death. No, he's going to show you his kindness and his goodness throughout all eternity. And we're looking at eternity as time. That's messed up. We can't even get it. Ten billion theoretical years from now, guess what you're going to be experiencing? incomparable grace, incomparable mercy, and and just love and kindness from God towards you in Christ Jesus. Those who reject Christ will be experiencing the exact opposite in an eternity. The gospel is important. Us denying ourselves like Christ denied himself and willing to lay down our lives so that others might live is of topmost importance to the Lord. But that's what's ahead ahead of us. It's incomparable. All analogies fall short. We can't comprehend how wonderful it is. We won't have the ability. We don't have it right now. We see glimpses through a glass dimly. But that's what makes your Father in Heaven's heart jump. That's why he chose you, he predestined you, he adopted you, he forgave you, he revealed his plan to you, and he gave you his Holy Spirit as proof, and that you have a sure hope, a sure inheritance, and it's all in Christ Jesus by grace. For eight, verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is or works. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by the grace, by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not by works. Not my Grand Canyon doesn't do it. Only Jesus dying in my place, taking my punishment. Not only that, raising from the dead and raising me also. He has power over death. No one can boast. We don't boast. We enjoy, we trust, we praise. And now that we've been made alive in Christ, we now respond to that love in Christ Jesus. We're no longer operating in our trespasses and sins. We're now operating in a new world, good works. Like, okay, great, good works. What does that look like? We get to discover it as we walk with him. It's verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has a life for you. He has a plan for you. Don't care how old you are or how young you are. He has things for you yet to do if you're breathing in and out. And he laid them out before you, created you for them, and they're for you to find. And they will meet the greatest desire of your soul and fit with who you are and it will bring you the greatest joy and the greatest blessing. And by the way, you'll look like Jesus a little bit. It's going to hurt the flesh, but the Spirit's going to be rocking. It's going to be awesome. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. We have been born again. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are God's handiwork. You're his poema. This word handiwork also speaks about that which has been made, that has been fashioned. It's used in Romans chapter one to talk about the creation of the world. You're his creation. We've been fashioned, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. (laughs) Guess what? Spiritually dead people can't do works. Can't do good works. Not the kind that God has prepared for them. They are They can't do it. They fall short of glorifying God. We have been safely placed on the other side of the grand canyon of death and sin through faith in Jesus. Because we have been saved, because of our new nature, because we have the spirit of God in us now, or we're alive, we now can respond to God. We're no longer dead. We hear him. We see him. We follow him. We have the power to do it. We're not the dead elk on the ground getting poked by God. We're alive. You're alive in Christ Jesus. Listen to him. Seek him. Call out to him. He's here. And you find that every single circumstance you're in, he is in. You find that every single up and down, he is in. You find that you start looking at the world, and you start seeing it no longer through the world's eyes. And you start grieving over things that break his heart. And you stop going with the flow of everything. And guess what that causes? A little bit of persecution. Like Jesus. It should be salt and light. We're done. So, we can glorify God now. How do we, ref- how do we reflect it? God now through good works, and this flows from God's love for us, and it's shown us in Christ Jesus, and we express our love back to Him through our actions, our obedience to Him. Now that we've been set free from our obedience to the flesh, we're now slaves to the Spirit. Just as you were entangled to that old life, now you are slave to the goodness. You can never let go. Now we love and obey, and this glorifies God. And we begin that by loving one another. We begin by loving one another. So, the marks of the spiritually dead, here we're closing. Ask your own heart this. The marks of the spiritually dead, they live in, they're clothed with transgressions and sins. That's what marks your life. You follow the world. Spiritually dead people, they follow the world. It's philosophies. They go to the world for answers. They go to the world for all those things. They don't go to the Lord. They don't go to his word. They don't pray. They go to the world. They are under the influence of Satan. They might not think about it directly, but they are living after what pleases their stomach and drives their intellect or whatever. Those are, those are dead things. The marks of those who have been made alive that are in Christ, they are clothed with good works. They love and they love one another. They love God and they love one another. That's what marks them. They're about serving the Lord. They follow the kingdom of God. We don't go to the world for philosophies and ideology and theology or whatever. We're shaped by the words of the king. We put the word of God above the word of man. In every single circumstance, we go to him. That's what we do. That's what Adam was created to do. Spend time with him in the garden, hear his voice, and do what he says, and glorify him. They're shaped by the words of the King. They long for his rule and his thought to become in their hearts and in their minds more and more, being renewed in their thinking by the by the washing of the water of the word. And that's where their treasures, the treasures in the kingdom, not in the world, the treasures up there, Christ seated in the throne. Are, do you treasure Christ? More than you treasure your boat, more than I treasure whatever, I, my guitars. Is he? Is he my treasure? Is that where my treasure is? You know. They follow, and lastly, they follow the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit teaches and directs and guides. In other words, our lives look like Jesus. So, I know this is kind of Himalayan message here, but this is the celebration of communion brothers and sisters. And this is why we're going to take the last couple minutes and you're just going to, like we normally do, I'm just going to pray here and then you're going to go and you're going to pick up the cups and bring it back to yourself. But it's a celebration of what Christ has done for you and what's ahead of you. You were chosen. You were predestined to adoption. You were redeemed. You were forgiven. You were given this plan. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a sure hope. You have a sure inheritance. You were dead. You were dead, but What happened? But no longer, he made you alive. We're alive because of his love and his rich mercy and his by grace you have been saved. And so that's what we approach the table. Enjoy him. So let's pray. And then as we start playing, go ahead and uh, approach the table and we'll just conclude the service, okay? Father, we want to give you all glory and all honor. And we ask that as we come to you now, as we contemplate your goodness towards us, we would allow these deep spiritual things to permeate our hearts and our minds and our thinking. And we ask that by your grace, Lord, we would know who we are and know how to live in these times that we might glorify you like Jesus did. Amen.